Hey there, do you need to get some merch printed? My incredible sponsors over at Anchorfish Printing has a great deal going on right now. You can get 100 soft style shirts for only 499 bucks. Do the math. That's a great deal. For details, email michael at anchorfishprinting.com. You can also visit anchorfishprinting.com and see what else they have to offer. They are a one-stop shop for all your merch needs. And don't forget to mention the first ever podcast when you place your order. Welcome to the first ever podcast. My name is Jeremy Bohm. I am your host. And if this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kinds about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. This is episode 181. And my guest this week is Matt Ebert, who plays bass and sings in Joyce Manor. Uh, I believe this is our first ever bass player I've interviewed. Don't hold me to that, but that feels right. Uh, Joyce Manor will be playing in Jacksonville March 8th at Collective Con. Uh, and also they're going to be playing Outbreak Fest this June in Manchester. I am stoked to have Matt on as he's someone I see semi-regularly um, when we're both home. He's like an ideal coffee date. He's very knowledgeable of coffee. And he's a very easy hang, as you're going to hear in this interview. And if you feel like you want to hang with Matt a little more at the end of this, head on over to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. And you can hear a bonus episode where Matt answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can find the link to that Patreon in the episode description, or you can just head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. It helps support the show and it means a whole lot to have your support in that way. Another way to support is if you haven't subscribed to the show on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you are listening to this, uh, please do that. And uh, leaving a positive rating and review, things like that help. Um, I won't take up any more of your time, though. I want to jump right into this. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the kind, the hilarious, the sweet. It's Matt Ebert. What's up, Matt? It is fucking awesome to see you. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good, man. It's so funny when I have a friend on the show that I've known for such a long time. Um, half of me is like, oh, this is going to be like any other podcast where I'm just like hanging out, talking with a friend. The other half of me is just is gets excited because I know that I'm going to probably learn things about this friend that I that I never knew. So there's always like a, a second level of excitement for doing one of these. Totally. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, but uh, but yeah, so. I mean, I always assumed that you are from Torrance, but is that is that incorrect? Like, were you born and raised there? More or less, yeah. I um, I was born in Torrance. Uh, I lived in that area. You know, like the beach cities are kind of um, it's like seven or eight different cities all clustered in one small area. So I, I grew up in that very direct area, 
Um, okay. But only lived in Torrance proper for like the first few years of my life. Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Because yeah, even though I know, you know, your history with like Elliot from my band like goes back really far and things like that. But I didn't, I guess I don't fully 100% know when those connections all started and if it was like a high school related thing or if it was just like going to shows related thing like i don't know if i have a clear answer in my head for like where those relationships started um was it through going to shows or was it through going to because you didn't go to the same school as l because l went to like a catholic school yeah l um i met l a little after high school it probably would have been like 2006 so he would have still been no it probably would have been like 2005 Okay. It was when, um, like Barry and my first band had already kind of gotten going, and I don't remember how we met Sam Boston, our mutual friend Sam Boston, but um, we kind of all met through like playing shows at. I think I met Elliot for the first time at the Manhattan Beach like Kiwanis Club or Teen Center or whatever oh, okay. it was. Like we did a show with um, some ska band. And he was there and we had okay. like mutual friends. And then um, around that time we were playing Workman Circle. Do you remember that place? I do. Yeah. I think I only yeah, went we... to one or two shows, but <laughs> I think it was good, clean, fun and set your goals. Yeah. It, I mean, it was like definitely that kind of vibe, like a uh, hardcore of that era. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, well, Matt, when you were growing up, what was the first thing that you connected with musically that felt like it was yours? Maybe not something that was being played in the house by like a parent or something, but something that you found on your own that kind of gave you a sense of identity. I feel like uh, finding, like, I feel like finding finding something on your own at that age is kind of subjective, right? Where like, you're not like going out and really ever finding things on your own. Sure. But I, 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 I mean, it's gotta be dookie like for the, the, the boring answer for everyone my age and our age, you know, it's like everybody's first CD was dookie. Um, sure. It's, it's so funny. There's like a, there's like a two year differential between it's like, there's either the people that say Nirvana and it's not for everybody, but it's like, there's like right. the Nirvana, totally. there's the, there's the dookie or there's the, uh dude ranch yeah definitely yeah and like you know i was i was seven years old in 1994 so it was like dookie all the way um but i I had a i have an older sister who's like seven years older than me so i was kind of just like between that and mtv i was just like furiously listening to everything like yeah. yeah, even at at that young age, I was just like just watching MTV all day long. So was your so your sister was an MTV person too, like like liked Green Day and all that sort of stuff as well, or or were you on different paths in that sort of way? And like, were there things that you were taking from her as well? She was more like um, like she would kind of. I think she was probably too young to be doing this, but she would go to Jabberjaw. Like she would like tell my parents that she was like going to her friend's house and then she would like go to shows at Jabberjaw and shit, you know? Um, so she kind of would always have like K record stuff around the house. And, oh, like, wow. So yeah. Super um, cool. And I didn't really like connect with that much of that shit at that age, but um, she would also uh, 
play like the descendants and propagandi like how to clean everything was like kind of always playing in her room and that like to this day is one of my favorite bands so yeah um I, I feel like some of those like really early memories of getting into punk were just through her and like the cds that she would play for me i'm wondering for like being a little kid if you were noticing a different like if you're into stuff that you're seeing on mtv and like things mm -hmm. that seem really big and accessible but like to you it's big and accessible because it's on TV. And that's like kind of like a, an exciting factor. Whereas stuff that your sister's listening to down the hall feels more like small and local. If maybe that's why it wasn't connecting with you as quickly because you were like, Oh no, it's not the thing that's on TV. You know how like that might yeah. register different. Yeah. And I think also um, when you're that age, you're just more averse, averse to, to music that objectively sounds like shit, you know? Totally. Yeah, no, that's um, a great point. Yeah, because she was also listening to a lot of like Nirvana and like um, a really big one was Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Okay. Yeah. Like I was so obsessed with that record. Were you? And that was kind of yeah, and that was kind of before um, before I ever heard Green Day or probably even before I ever heard any of those like punk bands. It was just like blood sugar sex magic that was like the first rock record i really ever heard and connected with because before that it was like the beatles and michael jackson and you know yeah 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 where do you land i loved michael jackson when i was like four years old oh my god same wait so where do you land currently with red hot chili peppers um i very divisive band obviously yeah i, I think they have a lot of really really great songs i think frushante is one of the best guitar players of all time True. Yeah. And, um, you know, like I, I, I never really much liked their funk rock shit, but, uh, I think those guys can write really beautiful ballads and I think like some we of are, more. yeah, I think you and I are on the exact same page where like, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not interested in throwing on like a give it away or something like that, but, uh, give it away. yeah, but, uh, there were some songs on because One Hot Minute was the record that came out when I was like um, of the age of just consuming anything that was like on MTV and stuff like that, right? And the, that's the like day, the, the Dave Navarro the, record. The Dave Navarro record, right? But there's a few songs on that record. Like there's like that My Friends song or something like that. Yeah, that's that great. It's a great song. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, um, like Blood Sugar Sex Magic, I was really into uh, Breaking the Girl and like Could Have Lied. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, my parents, <laughs> uh, my parents, uh, they, they censored my musical uh, intake very, very minimally. Like I was pretty much allowed to listen to whatever, yeah. but when I was that age, uh, and I was like constantly playing blood sugar, sex magic, my mom was like, you can't listen to this. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> wow. Um, and, and that was like really early on. Like I had only probably listened to it like one time through and she was like you can't listen to this and so i uh and so i would i would take the um the case for the cassette or the cd or whatever it was and i would read the song titles on the back and like imagine what i thought the songs sounded like whoa and then when i got this when i got the record back and started listening to it i was like wow 
I mean, it, I'm sure it sounded nothing like what my, <laughs> what my four-year-old brain imagined, but, uh, yeah. Oh, that's, I so just funny. had, a, I had a third, I had a thirst for the chili peppers, man. I yeah. couldn't get enough of it, man. Um, oh, for sure. And it's so funny too. Cause I'm, <laughs> oh, that's even just like a parent's ear, whether they're even capturing or picking up or like, I doubt they're even analyzing what's coming out of Anthony Kiedis's mouth, but I'm, it's yeah. just this—it's just the sound of a pornographic band. Yeah, it's just like, oh, you're a child; you can't listen to this. You you the only—the only other time uh, I was ever censored was um, in middle school. We had a like sleepover at my house for my birthday, and yeah. one of my friends bought me a uh, No Effects Heavy Petting Zoo T-shirt. Oh, that'll. <laughs> And I was like probably 13 years old and my mom was like, what, like, what are you doing? You're going to return that tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh you can't wear that to school. <laughs> yeah. It, it wasn't the, uh, the like alt cover, right? Was it just the one with like the dudes like fingering the animal, which is a terrible sentence. It was, <laughs> I don't remember. Cause it yeah, was definitely like a t-shirt version of the of that, album artwork. Yeah, because there's like the alt cover where the dude's like 69ing a sheep, which is just like <laughs> truly going for it, where you're like, oh my fucking god, dude. <laughs> um yeah, no, that's that's true. Yeah, my my mom did not censor too much, but there was one time where I really fucked up where I accidentally left a uh a I don't remember if it was a cassette or a C or like one of my early CDs, but left it in the dining room, which was just like, what are you doing? Like, you gotta, you gotta, that's, that's paraphernalia, which was like the first Marilyn Manson record. Mm-hmm. Cause it has like this, this paragraph in it that is just like the worst thing a parent can read. It's basically, and especially a, like a Christian God fearing parent where it's oh, just yeah, like, totally. oh yeah, I, I should have hid that thing way, way, way deeper in my, in my bedroom. I was a fool to leave that thing out. I mean, early early to mid nineties was a uh, pop culture was very brash. <laughs> it's true. It's absolutely true. Um, so, what was the first album that you remember buying with your own money? Like, if you had like an allowance situation, or maybe it was a some sort of birthday gift or something. I feel like it was. It had to have been a like one of either one of the punk rama comps. Okay. Or like. Uh, I have a very distinct memory of buying. Do you know, remember that called Punk Sucks? Ooh, I don't know if I could picture it. Uh, it has like a weird like photo of a baby wearing sunglasses on the cover. God, it's <laughs> dude, like. <laughs> I couldn't have told you the name of that comp to save my life. And as soon as you just said that, I was like, I have a clear image of exactly that cover. That's a bad album. That's a bad cover. It's a really bad cover. I think it was Liberation Records, which I yeah. like. I don't know anything what about before is. or since. But it had like Sublime on it. Like it had Sublime and Pennywise, but then also um, it had like White Caps and like. Uh, yeah, okay. 88 okay. Fingers Louie. Like it was kind of a weird mashup of bands. And at the time, I think I was I would go to Best Buy or the warehouse and I was like always looking for value. And so those punk rama comps and like punk sucks and all of those were like yeah. genius, the fat comps. Man, I was, I was gonna say like gun to my head, I would have been like, that's a that like fat records put that out. Like I would have just assumed fat records put that out. That's so funny. Wow. That would have been liberation records. 
Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, now I want to do a deep dive and just like discover what else came out on that. That's interesting. Yeah, I know. And uh, the nitro comps too were it's really huge okay. for me. Yeah, my, yeah. My friend, this was actually, it had to have been a little bit later. No, it would have been, this would have been sixth grade. Okay. Uh, so it would have been a little bit, a tad bit later in my musical journey. But um, my friend went and saw The Offspring. Uh, I don't know, remember where, but at some like, you know, Irvine Meadows or some shit. And they were handing out free copies of the um, Nitro Deep Thoughts compilation. Okay. And that was the one that had like, um, it had AFI single second on it. Uh, it had like the Vandals and Gutter Mouth and shit. Like, I don't even remember what other songs were on it, but that was like my intro to AFI. And that kind of changed the game for me completely. Wow. Okay. That's awesome. <clears throat> um, I was curious, like, if it registered with you no like did you notice a difference between what green day was doing and then what a band like the descendants were doing or a band like um like afi you know like did it register as two separate things because i remember from being a kid being really into dookie loving green day so much and then hearing and then having some sort of connection like figuring out who no effects was and then yeah. me at that age realizing that there was a bit of a line in the sand there because i remember getting punk and trouble like who who like i remember leave it alone was like attempted to there was always this lore story where like green or like no effects play or sorry k-rock played leave it alone and supposedly yeah. fat mike called the station and was like stop playing us on the radio kind of a deal like whether that's lore or not i don't know but like i remember as a kid even though no effects is like so far from being like super you know like anti-corporate all of that sort of right, stuff you right, know, right. Bands, it were way more than that but I, I i remember noticing the line in the sand and i was curious if like you ever if, if that ever registered to you if like or what at what point you noticed there was like that d differential between those worlds um I don't know. Punk and Drublick was definitely probably the like second or third or fourth record that I got and got into in that world. Yeah. Um, I think with Dookie, my neighbor, uh, my neighbor's dad had like the CD single for Basket Case. And that was like when we first heard it and we were like, oh my God, this is insane. Yeah. It's so good. And yeah. then he also had Punk and Drublick. Okay. And I'm not sure, like, chronologically, I, I think they came out the same year, but I'm not sure, like, you know, what it was. Heard. Yeah, but um, that was, like, the one-two punch for me of, like, getting into that kind of shit. Yeah. And then I think probably what happened was I was, like, really excited about those bands. Like, the Basket Case video was on the on MTV all the time, and it's all so awesome. Yeah, yeah. and Trey, Trey Cool's drumming was so fucking awesome yeah and then uh i think probably my sister was like oh well you should listen to the descendants then because it's like they're kind of a local band they're really good you know they yeah. had like they were like just starting to come back i think you know and do like the everything sucks record that right. actually might have been a couple years later but they were like they would like play around torrance and like the south bay you know like they would do surprise shows in like redondo beach and shit so like yeah they kind of felt like a more local band, even if I wasn't necessarily old enough to really like understand what that meant. Yeah. It was just like, 
yeah, this these this band is older and the recording doesn't necessarily sound worse, but it sounds different. You know, it's not like this crazy right. major label production. I don't think I was old enough to differentiate between those things, but uh, you know, it, it has an undeniably different quality that I think even a, a young kid could understand. Uh, did you have the interesting realization once you started touring that I did where in my brain, I was like, oh, every kid got into no effects, but then you learn it's a very West Coast situation. Oh, I know. Yeah. It's like, for for me, I think I had that realization more with like, um, just like how, like how big ska was in Southern California and like uh -huh. in Orange County and LA County specifically. It was like the biggest thing. And I know, you know, it got pretty big everywhere, but it was like, right. this was like the epicenter for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like when we started working with Deathwish and and just like talked openly it's about like, oh yeah, it's like fucking like everybody loved no effects and, and like all those just being like that did not hit the East Coast. Like yeah, that was, I, yeah. I was at, like we were like we were actively allergic to no effects and I was like, Oh, okay, well, all right, singular experience, that's fine. Yeah, because uh, there's like there's like skate there's like skate video bands and then there's like snowboard bands, right? Like uh, oh true, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. I don't think I I don't think I really have any examples, but like yeah, there's like um I'm trying to like I, okay, how about this? I feel like someone someone's probably gonna yell at me uh off the pod, like some sort of listener. But to me, like strung out is a snowboard band. Dude, that was the first band I thought of when I said that. <laughs> totally. Okay, yeah. Totally. Strung Out is for sure a snowboard band. Whereas, yeah. like, yeah, uh, th there's a plethora of better examples for uh, for for skate bands. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was just different. Like the the West Coast East Coast thing has always just been different. What was your first concert? Uh, it was uh, Blink One Eighty Two. Bad Religion and Phoenix TX at the Long Beach Arena in June of 2000. I don't think that I ever realized that uh, Bad Religion and Blink-182 toured together. Yeah, it was um, Bad Religion was on the New America tour. Yeah. And Blink, it was, um, I don't know what tour, I guess it would have been like some some part of the enema no it was the enema tour i think oh, okay. because it was that record came out in 99 so yeah it was like june 2000 okay. um travis had like a broken leg i think so the drummer of phoenix tx filled in i did not know that happened either yeah wow. yeah and th this was this was the day of my eighth grade graduation wow it was cool so was that was kind of like a graduation cool. present in a way to go to that show I think so. Yeah, it was like my my sister and her her boyfriend took um, me and and my friend. Is the drummer of Phoenix TX like a ripper? Because those are some fucking those are some uh, no some, some big sleeves to fill. You know. That's true. Yeah, I mean, it was also like uh, a couple years after scott rayner was in the band you know so it was yeah. probably something like he was kind of like yeah we can just make do with this i think they were really like just trying to make it trying to keep it together and make it yeah, work like I, I don't I, yeah totally but i mean in in my 13 year old memory it was fucking awesome 
totally. Yeah, you're not going to register that stuff anyway. You're not going to be like, yeah. man, he didn't really hit that drum fill as yeah. well as yeah. you know, like you're just excited to like see these people in person that you're. Yeah, and the, and the the Long Beach Arena was like, uh, you know, 15 minutes up the road from my house. Like, yeah. Did yeah, you growing up in a place where there are no there were no shows ever? Like that was really cool. Did you appreciate that religion at that show? Yes. Okay. I was going to say, because I did. I... When, when you're young, it's like, you, maybe you don't have fully the concept of like, what, like, I was curious if that band was important to you yet. Yeah. My friends and I were, were really into bad religion, like, okay. uh, throughout middle school. And I want to say the new America, like at the time, yeah, I was listening to it a lot. I really liked that record when I was like 12, 13. Um, but the Does one that, have... that really did it for me was uh, um, Recipe for Hate. My sister had a cassette copy of Recipe for Hate. Yeah. And that, so that was kind of an early one for me too. And like that, listening back to that record as an adult, it's awesome. There's so many things about that band that are so specific and unique. Like they're one of the few punk bands at that level that I feel like as soon as you hear the vocals, you know exactly who the band is, you know? Oh yeah, totally. Like, totally. Like, and that, and that record's got like a real... Um, kind of like folk sort of country influence oh where like it doesn't come out um in the in the song structures so much as like kind of the vocal melody Mm. like if you if you like close your eyes and imagine different instrumentation you're like oh yeah these are like folk songs it's really cool interesting like Um... skyscraper that's a great one with you, I mean, this is like a maybe a down the line thing, but like with you guys eventually working with Brett Gurowitz on Never Hung Over Again, like as in him being more, from what I know, like more of an active role in that producing sort of a situation. Was it yeah. hard for you at first to sort of like switch off that this is a guy from Bad Religion or uh, did that always kind of stick with you? Um, I mean, I think it it's always kind of sticks with you in, in a sense, but at the same time, uh, he's so cool and like down to earth and, and like, doesn't make it weird, you know? So. Um, I'm now also remembering a member. I have a memory and I think a photo of you doing karaoke with Brett at one of the epitaph holiday yeah. parties. <laughs> so just like, as you know, knowing how much that band means to you now, especially as we're talking and, you know, for people who this isn't obviously a video podcast, but you have a bad yeah. religion, no control tour poster over your, you know, behind you there. Um, uh, I have like, a funny story about this bad religion poster. My friend yeah. found it in the dumpster at Amoeba. Whoa. And it's like, uh, it's like a Frank Kozik print. Yeah. It's, it's, it's signed by, um, Brett and Greg and it's like for the no control European tour. Why was that in the dumpster? Uh, dude, I don't know. I think Amoeba is just too high volume sometimes, you know? That's fucking so insane. It, it wound up in the dumpster and my friend was like, Hey, you want to like buy me lunch and you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, so I, you know, I bought him, bought him like some burrito or something. And then yeah. I immediately took it and got it framed. Cause it's such a rad print. It's really cool. No, it totally is. And yeah, I mean, so what I'm getting at is just like, I mean, what a cool full circle situation for you. And you know, it's a yeah. thing that gets said on this pod every now and again, it's been a while since it's been said it, but I, I forever think the sickest thing about punk is that, the ceiling is so low that if you like try hard enough, like it's possible to end up 
playing with or getting to know or whatever people that influenced you when you were a kid totally i mean for for us like moving over to asian man records was like 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 that label throughout my high school years and and my um early adult years was like such a big deal to me it was like you know was your intro to them alkaline trio because that was certainly mine um i can't remember my friend my friend dan uh in high school was really into ska and really into like um that band poly six they're kind of like 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 japanese devo influence (laughs) like they're an asian man band cool um but yeah um my friend dan was like uh he's into poly six and pot shot and like those kind of the japanese bands yeah asian man and so i was really into that stuff but then i was also i really liked the um the bands like sort of on the indie rock side like uh korea girl and I love the Chinkies. Like, yeah, that's really, really great stuff. Sure. And like Mike Park solo stuff and Colossal, like all those bands. But I, yeah, my intro to Asia, man, I don't really remember what it was. I feel like my love for Alkaline Trio came a little bit later. Oh, okay. Interesting. I, I, I always loved um, Goodbye Forever because it's on, uh, it was on one of the comps. Okay. And the video for that is so cool. And I I love that band so much, but it came a little bit later for me. I am here to update you on the upcoming releases from Persistent Vision Records. You can pre-order the incredible split between Massanera and Quiet Fear. It's a collaborative split. Both of these bands are great. If you're a fan of Screamo, sign right up. You can pre-order these through Persistent Vision and through Deathwish Inc. Also available is a self-titled 12-inch from the band Goisha, who are a new DC band featuring members of Genocide Pact and Brain Tourniquet. They're playing death metal with elements of grind, black metal, and punk. And lastly, a record from the band Wreath. The album is called The Land Is Not An Idol God. They are a dark, melodic crust band out of London, featuring members of the iconic bands Fall of Afrafa and Morrow. Head up Persistent Vision or Deathwish Inc. to order now uh what was the first instrument you ever played was it was bass your first instrument no um piano i played piano for this was like middle elementary school i played piano for like three years four years like a like a parents making you do it or did you want to do it i wanted to do it um I, i don't remember what like really made me want to actually specifically play piano but we we had an old piano in our living room and i would just kind of fuck around on it so my parents were like yeah we should get him some lessons so i went to this like old british lady's house once a week like right next to my house for you know a few come years. on that's the most stereotypical thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> like the old Dude, british i have lady. this i have this i have this vivid memory of like every i would go over there at like 4 30 or 5 p.m or something and yeah. every week it smelled like they were cooking Thanksgiving in their house. (laughs) And I would be like, I was also like a very overweight kid. And I have always really loved food. So I was like trying to learn how to play (laughs) piano with like the smell of fucking gravy coming from the kitchen. And like, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll never be able to forget it. That's so they were, they were cooking, they were cooking like British Sunday roast, like five nights a week at that place. Oh my God. So how long did you stick with that, with those lessons? I 
think it was a few years. Yeah. So yeah. are you are you pretty capable these days? Like, do you have you played piano on any Joyce Manor stuff? Uh, a couple like notes, notes in the background, kind of a thing, you know. Okay. Um, but and and I can still read sheet music like on a really basic like third grade education level, you know, <laughs> okay. like sure. Um, but but I did buy a piano. Um last year I bought like a digital piano and I've been trying to get back on it. I'm just having okay. trouble getting onto a good practice schedule. But got it. Uh it, it is like a long term goal for me to to kind of get back the piano skills and and get really good at it. Cause I picked it back up again in high school. Uh I got really into Ben Folds five. <laughs> and I was like, well shit, I gotta learn piano again. So I like took lessons again. Yeah. But that didn't that didn't last very long. Okay. Okay, that's awesome. But, um, um, I, I also played guitar uh, around eighth grade was when I started playing guitar. Okay. And, and, and that's the one I really stuck with. I, I never really played bass until um, Barry and I started a band. And then I just kind of had, you know, just the classic out of necessity, you need a bass player. So I was like, well, I have a bass that I got for Christmas. I could figure out how to play it. Figure this out. Yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh what was the first i guess we could do it for guitar what was the first song in guitar you learned how to play unless you want to say the piano one is there anything that comes to your mind as like a song that you remember learning how to play and like getting excited that it actually sounds like the thing no piano is like old mcdonald and shit you know <laughs> like uh i probably learned some like classical pieces but my teacher was like 80 years old you know yeah, she no, wasn't I feel it. She, she wasn't trying to teach me like uh like fucking November rain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually had I actually had the sheet music for November rain, uh, and I, and I would try really hard to play it because Guns and Roses were another band that I yeah. fucked with heavily at that age. Dude, straight up, um, man. Those guys had some of the most expensive music videos. I, I probably still to this day. Absolutely. I've heard so many different (laughs) podcasts like break down the November Rain music video alone. It's like a it's a crazy production. The man through the cake is forever the the biggest talking point. (laughs) It just makes no fucking sense. Could you imagine uh, like getting the green light to play your nine minute video on MTV like at any point in history? It's crazy. Yeah, no, they're uh, they them and uh meatloaf for i would do anything for love were like oh, probably yeah, the yeah. two longest music videos you know what i'm yeah. saying where it's just like wow you're literally eating up so much airtime with this yeah and and for me like i had so many there were so many videos where i would change the channel during mm-hmm. you know i'd be like oh uh extremes like more than words is on so i'm gonna fucking switch to nickelodeon for a few minutes and i'll come yeah, back yeah yeah totally <laughs> um but not November rain. I was never changing the channel. It was in. like it was like a sick ass movie in music video form. Absolutely, yeah. You get slash up on the roof or whatever. You get sl- or, yeah, uh, soloing in front of the church. Oh yeah, my God. So not cool. plugged in. Yeah, so awesome, so <laughs> awesome. That also reminds me of uh, I think it's Aerosmith's "Living on the Edge" video. Remember that one uh, where it's Joe one of Perry the- is one of the alicia silverstone videos for sure right no no living on the edge was i think it's a little bit later and like it starts with steven tyler he's like painted half half white and half black and it's like uh it's like kind of surreal for a few minutes but then 
it's got like Joe Perry soloing on a, on the train tracks. And then he like, he like steps out of the way at the last second when the train goes by. It's so, it's so fucking cool. Okay. It's so funny. It's I don't, so I don't remember. Cool. I don't remember the Steven Tyler being painted, but I do remember the last second step off the tracks. I do remember that. Cause I think that yeah. as a kid, you're watching that, like thinking he might get hit every time you watch it. It's awesome. It's so cool. Yeah. And Steven Tyler is painted in like a um, kind of a Alice in Wonderland sort of way. Like okay. uh, I might be conflating it with that Tom Petty video. Oh yeah. The uh, um, um, fucking uh, yeah. don't come around here. Don't come around here no more. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, for, first song I learned on guitar though. Sorry. I got off. Yeah, track. You're fine. Um, honestly, like, I probably butchered the living hell out of it, but my friend taught me the solo to Santeria. And that was kind of like, like I, I was kind of in the, in the headspace where I was like, I don't want to learn. I don't want to learn the fucking C chord, man. Like I want to learn how to, how to shred. Wow. That's so wow. he taught me like a very, very basic rendition like primitive of the, version of it yeah yeah of, of the santeria solo and and that's i don't know if that's the first thing i learned but that's definitely the first and like maybe only memory i have of like trying actively trying to like get good at a part on guitar yeah were and you I uh never forgot it going forward were you a tab like a like a guitar tab person or were you someone that could like oh yeah make make printed, it out printed tabs all over my room Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, and and also, the other song has got to be probably Brain Stew. Okay. Because it's yeah. like, you know, done it. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah. Um, that one, I f it's so funny. Like, Brain Stew is this weird um, sort of Pandora's box of realizing how many people use the same shit because... Uh, that I feel like is also fucking Papa Roach's uh oh, last it, resort. Last resort, because it's the same thing, only with there's no in yeah. between. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> totally. <laughs> uh where you're like, oh my god, music might be easy, but it's it's actually not that easy. But it just not it, that when, easy, you, but... when those things you you click and you realize you're like, wow, everyone's just kind of doing the same shit, you know? And it's also it's also nice to have that realization that like, you know, it kind of feels like bands like Nirvana and Green Day, like did sort of democratize rock music in a way where like, you know, anybody can play it. Yeah. Not anybody can write it, but anybody can play it, you know? Totally, totally, totally. Um, so what was the first band you did? First band? First band. Yeah. Um, this would have been probably the very beginning of ninth grade. Okay. Um, my friend, my like my oldest friend who I've known my entire life, uh, started a band called Fick. F I C K. Yeah. Don't ask me what it meant or anything. But, okay. Uh, it was just like kind of more or less a cover band. Okay. And I had I just played like this. Uh, casio keyboard like really shitty like 30 dollar keyboard okay so this is still in the um, piano phase I, yeah I, I had a guitar but uh 
band didn't need a guitar player band needed a keyboard player okay um so i i just kind of fucked around like we you know we just fucked around but we did play one show we played a show at a coffee shop we covered shook me all night long uh on and i and i and i played the i played the vocal melody on my casio keyboard that's tight. i don't remember i don't remember if it was mic'd up or anything but yeah uh I was gonna say, like, yeah. how, to, to be a how to present. be a fly on that wall. <laughs> so wait, did you do multiple, or did you just play that song, or was there was there? Uh, more I think we set? I think we've had like five songs. We uh, we had the, this this guy that we knew from our high school, um, that we like asked to to like sing and play guitar. Yeah, and like uh, we asked him because we thought that he like. We're like, oh yeah, like this guy like looks kind of punk. Like he kind he kind of looks alt, so like maybe he'll be down to like singing fig. You know? Yeah. Um, oh my god. But he he ended up like being into like Pink Floyd and Yes and shit. <laughs> and he's like, uh, he's like, well, I have some songs. And so it was like, it was just one of those bands where like everybody is playing a different genre, you know? Like I yep. wanted to fucking I wanted to sound like a less than Jake, and this motherfucker wants to sound like Pink Floyd yep uh but we're covering acdc it's like it's psychotic but yeah. i did find very ragtag um, yeah but uh a couple of weeks ago i was organizing some shit in my apartment and i found a flyer from the one and only show that we played pretty cool oh wow that's awesome that's awesome yeah. it was, was like it 19, like uh 1990 no it was, it was 2000 it was like december 2000 or something was this like a situation where this coffee shop that it was like you said it was a coffee shop? Yeah, it was called Sacred Grounds. It was like in San Pedro. Uh, they oh, did a lot remember, of shows back in the day. I remember seeing flyers for that place. I don't think I ever went. Um, but was they this had like legitimate a, shows, but they would also yeah. let like children come and play. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, was this like a pay to play situation, or was this like uh, you can call and be like, hey, can my band come play on a Friday? Do you happen to have any memory of that? Uh, I don't remember, but I mean none of us had parents that were like helping us get shows so. totally yeah it, it, yeah, it yeah. was something that it was something that a 14 year old was able to do <laughs> got it got it um which could you imagine could you imagine if you owned like a coffee shop and this like <laughs> baby called you and they're like hey can we come play a concert yeah i mean i feel like that was the entire cobalt fucking cafe experience yeah in a way, like, you know? what are you gonna say no what are you gonna tell them no come on yeah Cobalt Cafe was so down to be like, yeah, you could play at five thirty on this uh, on this Tuesday. Come on in. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, we never like we didn't have a lot of spaces like that. Uh, Cobalt was too far for us. Yeah, I was gonna say, did you ever have any sort of Cobalt experiences as someone from Southern California? No. Uh, I went to. I've been to Cobalt. I went once in my life when I was like in my early twenties. Holy shit! Um, was it the tragedy but, yeah. show? No, it was. Um, I think I just rolled up there with Merrick. It was for Code Orange Kids. Holy shit. That's so funny. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we realized, because, like, as a kid who, you know, from the Valley, like, played there a billion times, um, Tragedy randomly played there. Yeah. And it was, like, this one night where all of a sudden it did not feel like the Cobalt Cafe. Like, you walked in, right. and you're like, this is not the venue I play every other week. Like, this feels like an yeah. actual show is happening. And we had this wild realization that every single member of Touche was at that show, but we didn't all know each other yet. <laughs> like, we just all yeah. happened to be there. So it was like this funny Venn diagram, that show. Tragedy um, or one of those bands where, like, they would come through every couple of years. I, 
I actually never saw them until I, I never saw them until 2009. But oh um, shit, yeah, they, they would come through Southern California and it would bring like everyone out, you know. Totally, totally. I, it was like um, Limp Wrist would do that, you know. Like every time they came through, like 500 people would show up. Absolutely. And uh, Dillinger Four, kind of the same way, like. Just bands that people love kind of from every scene, like everyone just comes out because it's a momentous occasion. It's a thing to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about the first time you recorded? Uh, first time I recorded was, that was Barry in my first band. Uh, which, which one was? was called, it was called the one? English Work Standard. Oh, right. Okay. And that was, we started it together like... I think two two of the guys were still in high school and Barry and I were like weeks out of high school. It was like, I, gr- I graduated in 2004. I think we started the band probably September, 2004. So like, okay. Se- 17 years old. Yeah. And we, we did a, we did a few songs just with our buddy, like at his house. Um, and then the following year we recorded like a 10 song CD but that those those were my first experiences with recording anything. Remind me where you and Barry met. Uh, we met in eighth grade. We were on the same bowling league. <laughs> That's tight. <laughs> yeah. So like he he went to a different school than me. So like I was on a bowling team with a couple of my friends, and he was on a bowling team with a couple of his friends, and we would like always play against each other. Yeah. And. Uh, he would he would rock like a mustard plug shirt and i would have like an afi hoodie on okay so So, we were kind of just like hey what's up dude like yeah 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 yeah. and then um and then we we kind of didn't um see each other at all for a couple of years after that okay and then towards the end of high school like we started hanging out again and started the band okay what I mean, you two, you know, are such a long time collaborative duo. What do you think it is, if you were to really think about it, that has connected you two this long? Like, is it just an, a musical understanding between the two of you? If it, like, w- if you were to try to break it down, like, what do you think it is that has kept you two playing together this long? Um, I mean, I do think that we, uh, we we play really well together personality wise. I think especially with with Chase, the three of us, like we yeah. um, we have a really good musical chemistry between the three of us. And I think uh, I've also just always really believed in the songs. Like even from the beginning, it was like, you know, this is like a crazy sort of post high school band that sounds like it was like kind of like Operation Ivy, kind of like at the drive in, like just a little bit confused and crazy but yeah there were there were things about it where even at the time i was like this is awesome and uh you know like we kind of almost immediately started gaining like a little local following and like we would play house shows and they were always nuts and uh yeah i just i just knew i was like yeah these these songs are really cool and i love being in this band and i think that coupled with our kind of musical chemistry that we have it's just it's made for like a really good lasting relationship yeah no i mean you know you're you, the band has gone through you know some lineup changes over the years specifically mostly drummers and, and things like that but 
yeah, it seems like you three have have really like something very specifically special. Did Chase play any of the bands with you two before Joyce Manor or no? No, but he Chase, Chase is uh, like five years younger than us. Oh, I don't know if I realize that. Yeah, he's like he's like five years younger than us, but um, he was playing in his high school band, mm-hmm. which was in Torrance, and so he would like come and see our band. We would like I don't remember like if we ever actually played many shows together, but he was kind of like the cool like cool kid that was always around, you know? Okay. It was yeah. like, it was always like yeah yeah this kid is like way younger than us, but he he's cool and he's like in this band he, his band was like really influenced by the Minutemen. okay and uh you know he just always seemed like uh he was like just kind of this younger kid that was around and obviously very talented yeah and then uh, it was you know years later that that him and barry started joyce manor together looking for an extraordinary coffee look no further than Heartwork coffee With eight years of excellence and proudly roasting in the vibrant city of San Diego, California, visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to explore a wide range of single origin and blended coffees to suit your taste preference. On a personal note, co-founder Rob Moran has played in so many bands that have inspired me personally, like Unbroken and Some Girls, for example, and it's been amazing watching Heartwork thrive all these years. The coffee is amazing and I'm thrilled to support this company. Once again, Visit heartworkcoffeebar.com to place an order. That is H-E-A-R-T workcoffeebar.com. Okay, so with English Work Standard um, being the first time you recorded, what do you remember about that experience? Like, was recording something that you were excited about that you took to? Was it something that, like, made you nervous? Like, where do you stand with... Um, recording from then to today, like, has your relationship with it changed? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've always really enjoyed recording and I think I had such a different attitude back then. And like, obviously the stakes are different now. Um, back then it was just like, you know, yeah, we know this guy that has like a, I don't know, pro tools or like whatever like the whatever yeah, the yeah, yeah. equivalent was back then um so you know the your options were limited it was never gonna sound good it was like <laughs> you know this do you guy, still like, have do you still have any of those recordings yeah yeah there was a like like um midwestern like folk punk label that like pressed some cds for us and okay um i i still have some copies of it like we we have we we did like this really cool like hand screened not hand screened but like xerox sort of cover and every now and then like if i'm organizing i'll come across like some copies of our cd or like this weird tour demo that we made and like yeah. I, I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna listen to them but it's uh kind of cool to come across the artwork when it comes to singing was was joyce man of the first band that you started doing vocals in or were you doing vocals in any of these previous bands uh Joyce Manor would have been the first time. Okay. And how was that for you? Like were you someone that was confident in your singing voice? I think, you know, not to blow smoke as someone who's known you this long and whatever else, but I I genuinely feel like your backup vocals are what I would call as like the secret weapon 
in Joyce Manor. Oh, I appreciate like, that. I've never had confidence in that. I've always that's uh, so wild to me. I've always had pretty low self-esteem when it comes to that the to singing and, and vocal stuff in general so it's it's really hard for me to um kind of break through that and do it but i do i think it's really fun so you know even do you you still feel that to this day yeah for sure wow man it's one of these things where you guys don't implement it too often Mm-hmm. But every but like the moments that you do are all such big standout moments, I think, sure. in your set lists. You know what I'm saying? And I think you yeah. guys are you it's funny, it's for someone who, you know, you're describing as like having, you know, low confidence in the situation. It's funny because you guys also use it in such specific ways that during your set it's always these really huge moments. You know what know, I'm saying? I know. I know. <laughs> like... And I, and I wouldn't want it any other way. Like I, I really, um, I, I like the way that we, that we employ it and have employed it. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's I, like, I have such a hard time with public speaking and growing up, like even raising my hand in class and oh God, yeah. th- saying something in front of 10, even like, talking like if i had to address a group of five people that i didn't know i would be really nervous yeah um but it's different like playing playing in a band is so much different you know do you remember what led to to you doing it like was it did barry know that you could sing and wanted you to do it did you know in the back of your mind that you have some capability and you offered to try like what do you remember what led you to doing some backup vocals I don't remember at all, but I, I just remember, um, I, I guess I knew that I could carry a tune, um, and I have a, a really high singing voice, so I'm able to usually go an octave above Barry. Yeah. So we kind of just like started doing this thing every now and then where he would sing a chorus and I would sing it an octave above him or kind of shout it an octave above him yeah and it it sounds really cool <laughs> yeah i can't think of i can't imagine you singing in a quiet register because your your back of vocals are like a very stand far away from the mic very like yeah. very loud version of it and it you know it hits so well but right. are you someone that can grab a guitar when you're at home and like play a song and sing it quietly and like feel comfortable doing it yourself yeah uh yeah uh playing and singing is very hard for me always has been okay and um so like to pick up an acoustic guitar and like play and sing a song for me it's like i have this mental block where it's really really difficult and even like all of the parts that i sing live it's like i've had to i've had to work so hard to be able to sing and play those at the same time interesting yeah i i don't know it's like a it's like a motor skills thing totally but uh i i can yeah i can i can i can sing quietly if that's what you want me to do (laughs) yeah um but i but i also uh i have such a higher register that sometimes like going going low where like it might be like the a normal register for a lot of guys. It's too low. It's too low for me, and it's a lot harder than if I were singing like you know. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I mean, 
there's a lot of bands that you and I probably both really like that that's like the standard. I mean, like, oh, of course, yeah. Were you, were you into that band, like, Good Luck? I feel like yeah. that's that's like a prime example of of a, a high register voice that just fucking obviously works really well with that style of of punk. Yeah, you know? yeah, totally, totally. And for me, it was never like oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing high because it's like yeah, a stylistic choice. You know, it was just like it's just my natural register is like what comes natural an, an octave higher than a lot of people. You know totally totally um what was the first tour you ever did uh english work standard uh we did a tour in probably spring of 2005 okay and it was with this band uh this local band called american lies who were like sort of in the folk punk world very like against me you know reinventing axel rose sort of uh against me so era world by storm stuff. yeah yeah yep. totally and, and and we had kind of played some local shows with them and connected on myspace and yeah. uh and they were like hey we're booking a tour like do you guys want to come out and we were like yes i, I was i was sort of um i think i had reservations about touring i don't know why i think maybe it was like i don't know i'm 18 19 i'm I don't feel like quite ready to venture out into the world yet or something. I don't know. Yeah. But uh, touring was never like a huge aspiration for me at that time. But uh, we did, we did that tour and it was so fucked. It was uh, Phoenix where we played to no one. And then Tucson, we played this like anarchist bookstore kind of a place uh-huh. to like no one. And then we played this coffee shop in Las Cruces and it was fucking awesome. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, okay, I think I actually really like touring. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> uh, you know, there were like 50 people there going yeah. crazy. Like it was so cool. Uh, like we stayed at the people's house after and it was disgusting. And I was just, I was at, at that point I was kind of like, yeah, this is definitely my shit now that's uh, awesome how long was we, the tour like how far did you was that as far as you went or did you keep going east uh no after after las cruces we had a vegas show booked so i don't know who thought it would be a good idea to drive from that's las good, cruces to vegas that's a good turn yeah 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 but the vegas show ended up getting canceled <sighs> uh so we were like all right well i guess we're just gonna like drive to vegas for the night so we just like went to vegas and hung out and like a couple some of our friends from la like came out and met us there and we you know it was yeah. really fun but uh, yeah, it was like a, a weird little Southwest tour that really only had one show that was like even worth talking about. It's so um, funny. I feel like you hit the three most important things that need to happen on your early tours, which is like you play to nobody. You get one show that solidifies your your love for performing outside of your comfort yeah, zone, and your, yeah. you know, whatever. And then you have a show that doesn't that gets canceled. Like those are the three things that have to happen. And we threw a TV off of a hotel balcony. <laughs> oh my god! So if you you know if you put that in yeah. the mix too, um, yep. we were staying at some like motel and there was like a broken TV in the in like the hallway balcony of one of the uh, yeah. like like near one of the rooms and and Barry and our buddy Chad just like threw it off the balcony and then we <laughs> ran away, jumped in the car. So yeah, I got kind of kind of got all that uh, early shit. Your, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So you mentioned that uh, a label had put out that band's 
like put out a, a was it like did you say it was for a comp or did you say that they actually oh you said no they press cds and stuff like that yeah uh, yeah they like they like press some copies of our cd it was it was kind of like um you know like we uh made a cd package a cd ourselves at like kinko's and then the guy that ran the label i think probably just like replicated something like i we definitely could have done that ourselves. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there was no, that... there was no digital, there was no distribution, you know. But you know, at that time, like there was a lot of activity on like the against me message board and like the follow or the um, the Planet X message board and like all that kind yeah. of shit. Sure. So th- there, you know, there was like some sort of a network, and I think uh, our record, like probably got around to a hundred people throughout the country kind of a vibe sure yeah 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 yeah. um was joyce manor the first band that you had anything on vinyl for um yeah yeah okay how was that for you was that a was that a a fulfilling experience like were you interested in vinyl at that time yeah yes yes when um when i joined joyce manor we kind of like barry and i kind of talked about um we didn't like have a like meeting about our goals or anything like that. But I just remember we sure. talked in passing of like, you know, like the, the two things that I would really love for this band to do are press something on vinyl and go to Japan. And, uh, you know, within like a year we had a seven inch. Yeah. So it was really cool. It was very, very cool. Wait, this was the first thing a split. <clears throat> No, Wait, the I'm first thing now. was just a demo. It was like a demo CDR. Oh, okay. But yeah, 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 yeah. No, but, but the first thing on vinyl was the first LP though, right? Oh, um, no, it would have been, uh, it might've been the split with summer vacation. Oh, interesting. We yeah. had a seven inch. I can't, yeah. I can't fucking remember, but we had a couple of things before the, the first record. Yeah, because I mean, the demo was, you know, like took Southern California by storm. It was like this really exciting new thing, you know, whatever. And yeah, it blew um, up on Toxic Breeds Funhouse. Yeah, I mean, uh, it just, be, you know, like it was just so exciting to see how, how, uh, how big the band grew locally like in such a short amount of time um yeah but uh but yeah the in my in my recollection it was like the the 6131 like the self-titled record coming out on vinyl that that's what i remember because because obviously there's some there's a few songs that were from the demo that ended up on the lp right one or two two one or two something yeah i think it was constant Um, nothing and constant headache there you go uh but yeah, I mean, getting getting the LP the first time is always like such a very special situation. Like getting to check the test press for the first time and like going oh, through yeah. that. Yeah, how how you being someone who cares so much about vinyl, um, was that? Were you meticulous about listening to that test press, or were you just like, no, it sounds good? I don't even remember if I listened to it, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't even think I knew what a test press was in two thousand ten or eleven. Where, where it's funny, I don't think I've ever really asked guests this, but I know because you and I talk so much about vinyl when we hang out. Yeah. Um, do you, where are you these days with test presses? Do you listen carefully or do you just like expect it's going to be chill? Um, I listen, yeah, yeah, 
Epitaph will usually like mail mail some copies and. Have you ever had to reject the test press? No. I don't think so. Yeah, we I don't think have for Touche. I one time with a seven inch for Secret Voice had to go through like three rounds where I was just like, this is killing me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but OK, well, that's good, because especially with like fucking vinyl turnaround times, when you reject a test press, you're like, great. Now I have to now there's a chance that our record like won't come out in time yeah. and blah, blah, blah. 2028 now. Great. Yeah. So what was the first European or like international tour you did? Was it Europe? Yeah, it was Europe in uh, 2012. OK, how was that for you? Oh, I had so much fun. I was so fucking drunk the entire time. <laughs> It was really fun. Like, because I, I, yeah. I had, um, it's funny because I, I said earlier that I wasn't really that interested in touring. Yeah. But I've always really, really been into traveling. Like, ever since I was a kid, like, we would take road trips to Yosemite and we would go to like Sedona and the Grand Canyon and shit. Like, my parents aren't really flyers. So we would just take like road trips all the time. And so I've always like, been been really into traveling and just known like yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna go see everything and like in high school yeah. or right after high school like we would drive up to san francisco and like hang out with friends and you know i just wanted to always be traveling so going getting to go to europe was like a giant deal for me totally and i had a blast were there any shows that uh you remember made a really big impression on your first time there where you were like oh my god there's people that are singing our words all the way over here um yeah we we did a i don't know if it's even still around but the old blue last that um pub in in london that's like london, yeah. run by vice uh so they would throw free shows there and so that was one where i was like oh yeah this is like a crazy like kind of feels like i'm at home yeah, like in, insane show, like upstairs at a pub. It's fucking awesome. Um, and yeah, so that was kind of like uh, when I felt like, oh yeah, like we could, you know, we we can keep doing this. Like this is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, I was gonna just briefly like go through little parts of your discography, um, mm -hmm. and just ask ask you some questions about it, um. You guys did the first record with Alex Estrada. Our, you know, I, I feel I, I look at Alex Estrada as like a sixth member of our band. I almost kind of yeah. feel like you guys might as well, just because yeah. you guys go to him for for pre pro demos the same we we do all of that sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Like he's such a guiding light for us in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, how I don't know if I know this. How long did you guys record that first record? Did, was it like a two day situation, a three day situation, or do you guys spend a few, like a few different sessions with it? Uh, it was a couple sessions, but it was, um, we did the, the rhythm section was up at his dad's old studio in Lake Arrowhead. Did you ever go there? Oh no, I don't think I ever did. His dad had a studio up in Lake Arrowhead, um, with a two inch tape machine. So we were like, let's go up there okay hey, it's gonna be sick um yeah so we we recorded it was like late 2010 we recorded the bass and drums uh up there in one day okay and then we came back down and and did the rest at his spot in chinatown you know probably the following week or a couple of days later um, sure sure so i would say the whole thing was probably 
I don't know, three days, four days. And then you guys did the follow up record with Jack Shirley. But yeah. I know Alex is still like involved. Did did Alex still do vocal stuff with Barry on that? Or was that just Alex? What was Alex's involvement involvement on that record? Uh, Alex came up and, and kind of produced vocals. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, was Jack Shirley somebody that you knew beforehand or did you just know reputation or like Comadre sort of a situation? Like what like what led you guys to Jack Shirley? Oh, uh, yeah, we had never met before, but um, I was familiar with Comadre. Like they had come through a bunch and, you know, I, I kind of admired them as being like the gold standard of like a West Coast DIY shit, you know, like they were one thousand percent. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I, I was really excited about being able to go up there and do that. And especially to like be able to go record out of town and like, you know, he's this guy that has like a real studio with cool gear. And like, you know, that was at the time for us, didn't even ever feel like a possibility. So. Right. That was so, a cool experience. Recently, uh, George from Deaf Heaven and I like co he, I had him co-host where we like interviewed Jack Shirley um mm -hmm. for like the sunbather thing and i oh, brought cool. up to him i brought up to him i was like the most fucking pro level thing i'd ever seen a diy band do was camadre touring with a pa oh like, yeah totally <laughs> that's like the smartest thing i'd ever seen a band do where it's like yeah, yeah it's just like when you tour the diy band you sometimes show up to the house and they're like yeah you're gonna sing out of this guitar amp and you're like yeah. great no one's gonna hear us tonight yeah cool <laughs> but and then like they would let the whole show go with like the shitty setup and then when it's, it was their turn to play they'd bring in their yeah, PA. Yeah, our, like, yeah it's awesome <laughs> it's like Fucking the awesome sickest move i've ever seen a band do yeah um yeah tr truly they were like the first band that i remember taking lessons from like just watching them like and how they and how they um conducted themselves as a band and then um you know you you start to implement different bands i think you point to to be like okay if they're doing it then it's cool you know, totally, like, and, and they were like uh, they were like touring with and, and doing splits with bands from like Germany and shit. And it was just like, yeah, like wow, like they they felt like it felt like they had their shit so locked down, and it was it was just really inspiring to see like, you know, they're from a place that I think is pretty similar to like the place that we're from, yeah, and they're just handling their shit. Who actually like engine? Wait, where did you guys actually engineer and like record? uh never hung over again was it is it was it not in california it was it was um in culver city at the studio called the lair which is no longer there but uh okay it was um kind of just like a studio that you could rent by by the day and it, the price price was really good uh and we we hadn't signed to epitaph yet so we just paid for it with like our touring money so wow. it, couldn't have cost, it could not have cost much at all because we did not have a lot of money. Um, but we flew out uh, Joe Reinhardt and, and Evan Bernard from Philly and, and they kind of produced and co-produced the record for us. And I think I want to say we spent probably two weeks, like like 10 days in there, Monday through okay. Friday, just, just every day knocking it out. Doing Cody with Rob Schnaff, like, did you guys all have specific... It's with someone like him where he has such a an amazing discography of like people that he's worked with did you all have specific records that you collaboratively like 
loved that he had done or do you guys all have like specific records that he's done individually that you're like fans of you know what i'm saying because you could point to him and be like oh yeah he's done like elliot smith records or like oh yeah he's done you know like the saves the day stuff or whatever um yeah yeah uh was there or was there a specific record that he did that you guys were like hoping to sort of emulate in some sort of way uh i think for me it's stay what you are was a yeah. huge one because i i love that record i love that it's like perfect blend of that sort of early mid 2000s like radio emo mixed with like beatles melodies yeah. and like you know kind of beatles guitar stuff yeah. and uh having worked with rob a handful of times now i can really hear where his his strengths kind of come through in that record you know like he's kind of a guitar wizard and like kind of know how his brain works and you can you can hear the stuff that I, I would assume that he probably came up with for that record. Right, 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 uh, right. But, but, I, but I think also like the, you know, his guided by voices stuff we were all excited about. And um, Elliot Smith, obviously. Is there, um, it's funny you mentioned that. I never really thought about it before, but like now that you've known him as long as you have, and you've worked with him on two different records, do you hear albums that he's produced differently now? Like, can you hear things and be like, Oh, that was a Rob idea for sure. Uh, you know, if I try hard enough, I can, but, um, I think also I have listened to like, stay what you are so many times in my life that I just, I just hear it for what it is. You know, I, I hear it kind of the same way that I always have. Sure. Sure. And so much of that is, uh, you know, Chris's cool vocal melodies and like incredible performances on that record. Really good playing. Yeah no straight up um i wanted to uh, I, I remember talking to barry a little bit about uh working with kurt baloo but i lo- you know i'm still f- i still love so much that you guys did that like I, I i get so excited when someone who has such a specific production style gets to do something out like that they're not typically able to do you know like so many people go to kurt because it's like he's he's makes incredibly heavy records um but I know that he also gets excited when he gets to do something different. Um, what was that? I guess just overall, like what was that experience like for you getting to work with Kurt Ballou? It was awesome. I feel like that time for me is like a weird kind of a blur. Like, uh, I don't know, like we spent, I want to say we spent three weeks at his studio, staying in the apartment above the studio. And it was yeah. like February in, in the Boston area, you know, like, so just really hot outside. <laughs> yeah, just sweltering. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so like, you know, we kept getting we kept getting delayed with the process because there would be like a fucking blizzard once every four days, and uh, and, and and Kurt would be like, I can't, you know, I can't make it in today. Like it's too much fucking snow. So a lot of my memory of of making that record is like uh, cooking and like yeah. playing. Grand Theft Auto on like a broken TV. Yeah, literally, um, you're the Shining, like just being yeah, stuck yeah, inside. Yeah. Um. So I do feel like uh, it was a weird, um, like like the actual record making process itself wasn't as fluid as it was for other records we've made. Totally, lots of starts um, and stops, and like exactly, exactly. Yeah, what yeah. can we get accomplished today? Type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I did have a really good time. Uh, you know, like he, Kurt's so good at getting guitar tones and bass tones mm-hmm. and just making everything sound so good. 
Yeah. Um, that that was like, it's just really fun. Like hanging out with him and being in his room with all of his gear. And, you know, he's, he's so meticulous. Yeah. I, I, the record sounds fucking awesome too. Like I, I, again, I always just get so excited when someone, uh, uh, gets to, gets to go outside of their, out of what they're known for to do that. So when I saw yeah. you guys made the decision, I just got, got so pumped. Um, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. It, it was also our first and really only time. I mean, aside from, from Jack, which was just up in the Bay, it was our first time like ever really traveling away from home to make a record, which I have kind of mixed feelings about because it's, like there, there is the cool kind of the, the feeling of uh, you know, like we're not leaving until this fucking record is done, kind of. A yeah, vibe, yeah, yeah. You know? But it also like I think especially as we've gotten a little bit older, it's really nice to be able to go home and reset your brain and like wake up and drink coffee in your living room before you go back in to record. You know, it's like I, yeah. I think I think at, at this age I would have to to reset my brain a little bit again to to go out and make a record in like another city or wherever else. Do you guys, uh, you know, I feel like your band is so consistent where you guys put out records, you know, pretty consistently every couple of years. Yeah. Um, and it seems like you're always just like back to writing. Like I'm always so impressed whenever I'm catching up with you and you're like, Oh yeah, no, we've, we're, we're like halfway done with the next record already yeah. or something like yeah. that. Do you, have you guys ever done like the, Oh, let's go out to a cabin and try to like write a record. Or is it always the same sort of deal where it's like, you know, Barry has been writing some songs and then he starts sharing it with you guys and you kind of go from there. Yeah. It's, it's always the latter. Like we, we've never like gone out to have like writing session kind of a thing. And it's also been, it's all, it's also very rare that um, anything gets written on the road. Oh God. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. I get it's, so weird. It's really just like, um, like, like Barry, we, we have a little bit of downtime and, and Barry kind of sets his mind to writing and, and starts working at it a lot. And then he'll start hitting us with stuff and we'll start working together and, you know, Taking yeah. It from awesome. Awesome. Um, well, shit, let me hit you with the uh the last question, Matt, which is when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing you've been working so hard towards? It's crazy because I feel like I have a lot of those. I've had a lot of those over the years. Um, but I do think uh, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that one of our like main goals for doing this band was going to Japan. Yeah. And we did finally go and in 2013 and i mean that was like a huge moment for me just i don't don't know why i think because i i liked a lot of japanese bands like on asian man and i i I liked that whole sort of world that um once we finally did get out there it just yeah it felt like we kind of achieved something um but i think probably the main one was when we did the the never hung over again um record release show at the el rey oh okay and it, we sold out the El Rey on the day of the show. And I was just like, damn, like I, you know, I didn't even think, I didn't think we would ever even headline a venue in LA, like let alone the <laughs> El Rey. You yeah. Know, like I had just seen the weaker thens there like three years before or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that felt really huge and it kind of felt like, um, people like a lot of people were talking about the show and it had just like this really exciting energy to it and i think that was when i really kind of felt like oh yeah like we've spent the last like four or five years like really pushing it and now we have this cool thing to show for it 
Yeah. And then Never Hung Over Again came out and people didn't really like it that much <laughs> for the first like six months that it was out. That's so <laughs> weird to think about too, considering it's like now, you know, people would probably put it as like, you know, maybe the most beloved or or something yeah. like, you know, you know, something that I, I'm sure you take pride in too is when you have a discography as big as you guys have at this point, mm-hmm. one of the coolest things in the entire world is when you see people debate over what their ranking of your records are. Oh, it's great. I feel like it's been happening with our band so much lately. And uh, it, I mean, it makes me really happy. I love it. Because then I start kind of, uh, you know, I don't read into it too much. But when I when I see it, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that guy. Like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I think it's the coolest thing, especially when it's not when everyone has such widely, like wildly different orders. I think there's totally. nothing cooler in the entire world than that. Just be like, yeah, wow, that shows that people are actually listening start to finish to our records, which right. I think we can take a lot of pride in because in this day and age, so many people just like maybe listen to the singles or like listen to a couple of the tracks. But like when people have interest in an entire record, like we you know i think our bands are pretty blessed to have an audience that actually is that devoted still you know yeah totally totally and and i also think that the fact that people don't like our records immediately is also a point of pride we're like yeah i i mean for me all the best records take a little bit of time and if you know unless you're just making the same thing over and over like it's pe- people are going to be sort of jarred when they first hear it and yeah. i think uh coming out of I mean, we, we did that second record of all things and it was kind of a weird left turn and people didn't really know what to think. And then we did Never Hung Over Again and they were like, I don't know. It's not as, it's like different than the first record. It sounds different than the first record. I don't know, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and then people caught on and it, it probably still my favorite one. It really feels really special to me. So yeah, I'm really proud of it. Dude, thanks for hanging out and doing this. This was a lot of fun. Oh, dude, thanks. That was really fun. And that is our show. Thank you so much to Matt for coming on and thank you for listening. This episode was edited, produced, and made to sound so great by my boy, Ryan Rainbow. Shout out to him. And uh, if you want a little more, Matt, head on over to patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where Matt answered questions that were submitted by subscribers. You can also find the link in the episode description. And do not forget to subscribe here on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is you are listening to this. Thank you so much. Take care. I'll see you next week. Be good. Bye-bye.